Hello and welcome to the podcast for the June issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined by TLID editor John McConnell. Let's start with a review, actually a systematic review, about syphilis and this is about the importance of rapid detection and and potential for screening. Is that right? That's right, Richard. So we've got a review about a a rapid screening test, a particular type of rapid screening test called a immunochromatographic strip test for diagnosis of syphilis. Uh, And of course, syphilis is a resurgent disease. There's still quite a lot of it around in uh, various parts of the world. I think the the estimate in the review is something like 12 million infections each year. So this is a a disease which um, we do need to pay attention to. And what the authors of this systematic review have done is to look at the sensitivity and specificity of this particular type of test. And both are pretty good. Very high sensitivity. Uh, let's see, it's uh, medium about 0.86. That's not bad. High specificity. So that's a, about a 99% specificity. That's very good. I think the... Um, one of the crucial points about this particular type of test is that it does appear to be a genuine point-of-care test. So you don't need very much in the way of laboratory technology. Uh, you don't need a refrigerator. You don't need a highly trained technician. Essentially, you can just sort of spot your sample onto the test strip and, you, and you'll get a result. So this is a big advantage over the uh, pre- previous types of tests, which didn't require some sort of laboratory support. A crucial point really to, to make about testing in general is that once you have your diagnosis of syphilis, uh, Uh, then that's no substitute for actually being able to do something about it. So you have a diagnosis, but you've still got to be able to treat. You've still got to be able to get in touch with potential sexual partners um, and and track uh, track those down and and track the route that that syphilis has taken. So being able to uh, diagnose is all very well, but you do need to be able to care. And I think the paper points out, doesn't it, that one of the important points here, because syphilis is so common in less developed settings, is getting that diagnosis into the relevant part of the health system, as you said. So I think they're talking about antenatal clinics and um, and sexual clinics as well. STI clinics, that's STI right, clinics, yes. Yeah. Excellent. On a similar theme, but slightly different, uh, is a personal view. And this is looking at the importance of molecular diagnosis for the testing of sleeping sickness. This is a much neglected disease, which crops up, I'm glad to say, in TLID and occasionally in the Lancet. Can you just remind us about the public health burden that is sleeping sickness? Well, well, fortunately, sleeping sickness doesn't carry quite the burden that syphilis does, but sleeping sickness is a disease caused by the uh, trypanosoma parasite. It occurs exclusively in Africa. There are somewhere between, we don't really know, but there's perhaps up to 40,000, 50,000 cases a year uh, of sleeping sickness. It is a disease which is almost invariably fatal if not treated and treatment is very difficult. There are treatments, but they are long-winded. They are themselves potentially poisonous, and they're not always successful. And, and of course, you can't treat, uh, even if you had a, a good treatment, you can't treat unless you can diagnose. So in a similar way to syphilis, these authors have looked at molecular tests which are available for sleeping sickness. And I think what's different here is that these are tests which really have not yet reached the point-of-care stage. So you still still need, for example, for any of these molecular tests, um, you're going to need some sort of laboratory facilities, you're going to need some sort of, uh, of cold chain. So the authors um, of this personal view, they have taken the line really that there's a lot of promise in this field, but we still need a lot more research and we really do need to develop a, um, a form of testing which can be applied where it's needed and doesn't need high tech support. Which obviously is crucial for, for this very specific disease because this, as you said, is absolutely specific to 
sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, so this occurs in those parts, or particularly in those parts of Africa, for example, don't have access to electricity, and uh, electricity is, is very important if you want to run a laboratory. Thanks, John. And let's just have a word about the editorial, which is talking about polio. Now, we hear a lot about polio because it's supposed to be eradicated by now, but it's, but it's not quite, is it? It's certainly hanging on. Um, there are perhaps one or two thousand cases every year which are occurring in those countries where the disease remains endemic, and those countries are Afghanistan, India, Nigeria, and Pakistan. And of course, it only occurs in quite small localised parts of these countries, but what does happen is that people travel and they move to other countries, and that can cause outbreaks. Now, those outbreaks are manageable, have not yet led so far to the re-establishment of endemic disease in places where outbreaks have occurred. We really can't take our eye off the ball here and we are so close to eradicating polio which would make it only the second infectious diseases after smallpox which has ever been eradicated that I do think it's worth the additional effort. It's worth that one more push uh, until we can get rid of this disease. And finally John let's talk about the World Cup. I'm not going to ask you how you think England are going to do in the World Cup but perhaps we could focus on the health issues to do with uh, infectious diseases there's an excellent I have to say a really rigorous and thorough news piece going through some of the infectious disease related issues and actually you know this is not a light issue. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be going to the World Cup, which is in South Africa. So it's important that people are aware. Well, this is a classic example of a, of a mass gathering. So you will have people coming from all over the world. And the number predicted here is something like 350,000. They will be gathering in South Africa. They will may well bring infections with them. And they will also be exposed to infection risks, which perhaps they haven't been immunized against. They've had no previous exposure to. Uh, and perhaps where immunization uh, isn't possible. So discussion in this news report around the uh, the pandemic flu H1N1. There's also talk about the potential exposure to HIV because I, I suspect that the sex workers in South Africa will be doing um, doing good business over the the next few months, and so there's a potential of exposure there. Uh, and there's also talk about uh, somewhat more arcane things like, for example, Rift Valley fever, uh, which certainly the majority of people coming to South Africa will will never have had exposure to anywhere else. So I think, Richard, a very important angle here in looking at uh, prevention of diseases which uh, which might occur in, ma- in mass gatherings is the sort of uh, public education 